Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And um, let me, let's read together. It says, for this reason, uh, can we close that door? Holly, can we close the door? No, I can't hear this yeah, so if we open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, it says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that you would take these words, Lord, and you would help us, Lord, as we um, continue to tackle this subject, Lord, of mental health. And, and I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to get right thoughts about you, to get right thoughts about ourselves, to see the reality of the fallen world that we live in, to see the anchor and foundation of your love for us, where we are at, but also to realize your love for us, to change us and lead us from where we, where we are at into a newness of life. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about this subject of mental health. It's, it's not exhaustive, it, it, uh, but obviously one of the things that uh, cause this, uh, these things in our lives is sometimes just having wrong thoughts about God. I think the way we are brought up, sometimes it can be very legal, it can be very oppressive, it can be very depressing, or we can think that God is just a particular person that it really is not. And it actually happens as we read the Bible, sometimes we we read motivations into God that is not really God. So it's really important that we have our minds transformed, right? But then also to see ourselves, to see how, how does God value us? How does God see us? That's also uh, sometimes when, when it comes to um, one of the distinctives of, of things that uh, we go through sometimes is just feeling useless, feeling worthless, feeling um, uh, terrible and, and, and just oppressed and discouraged. And, and we need to have right thoughts about ourselves. What does God think of us? Then we looked at the fact that mental health is a reality. We see it in Spurgeon. We see it in Luther. We see it in uh, Cooper. We see it in the Bible through David. Through, uh, and we looked at Elijah last week. And... And then we saw this incredible foundation because I think when we have these ups and downs, and of course there's different levels of, 
of mental health issues. But when we realize the steadfast love of God, that God doesn't love us only when we feel good. God loves us when we are in the dumps. You know, we need to realize that. We, this is a truth, a fact that needs to grab our brains. God does not love us when we are doing good and when we are feeling good. His love is constant. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So whenever God's love finds us, I mean, the Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here? He didn't say to Elijah, what are you doing there? He found them where he was at in his very depression, right? He finds us in our sin. If I think of the time where I became a Christian, it was incredible. One of the pictures that I have in my mind is at around 6 in the o'clock in the morning, going around Calarachada looking for cocaine, hopefully to find some on the street if it was just laying around. It was just rat behavior. But God found me in that place as I took a plane and I, I flew to the United States uh, a lady sat next to me on the plane and she told me eight hours about Jesus. <laughs> and then afterwards, uh, I landed and I was still looking for what to do in my life. But then uh, I met two friends of mine. My mom had two children. My mom had two friends and each one had a boy. And one was a partier, the other one was a youth pastor. And they began to invite me to things. But he found me in my sin. His love found me in my sin. His grace is strong in my sin and in your sin. But listen, guys, his love is too big to leave us there. Yeah. His love is so deep that he loves us too much to leave us there. He wants to transform us. He wants to, he doesn't want to change us and make us good on the outside. His love is so deep and so big and so strong that he wants to change us from the inside. In the 1700s, 1800s, there was three young men, age 17, who began to read Christian books. And they came across a book called The Life of God and the Soul of Man. That book absolutely changed their lives. And God used those three young men, 17 years old, to change the world for Jesus Christ. And they lived in a world where there was a lot of religious people that did the right things, went to church, had their seats, gave their tithes, but they had no life of God inside of their souls. And here Paul, Paul's praying for them. And listen, if there's something that my, my ears pop up right away, my heart leaps, when the Apostle Paul says, therefore I pray, I know that what Paul is praying it's inspired by the very Spirit of God. In other words, I don't have to doubt. Sometimes when I pray, I doubt. I mean, right now, for example, we're in a place where our family has grown in the last few years. We, I mean, and and my, my kids are getting older, and I feel 
I feel like we need, and Loretta feels, it would be nice to have a slightly bigger house for a season and then maybe downgrade afterwards after the kids move out. But it's a bit tight in our bedrooms. But to be honest, I don't know if that's the will of God. So I pray and I'm like, Lord, if, you, if we could get a bigger house, great. And I pray in Jesus' name. But I, but I also say, Lord, if this is not your will, I pray, Lord, that you would just, I don't want to get into more and debt. I mean, we're done with that. I don't want to get into that. So, Lord, just, just kind of give me wisdom because I don't know what God's will is in this situation. I need wisdom and discernment. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, in your nature, do what is best. But listen, when I read Paul's prayer here, there is no doubt that that's what God wants for me. There is no doubt that God wants to make me strong inside my soul, not just in my body. There is no doubt that God wants me to be, uh, that, that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And listen, this is the, there's no doubt that God wants me to know the, the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's not something that we know with our heads. It's something that we experience by the Spirit of God. But listen, I also know that God wants me to be filled with all his fullness. He wants me to be full of God. You know the word enthusiastic? The word enthusiasm means to be full of God. To be full of God. God wants that for us. Now, it doesn't mean that we become somebody else's personality. There's some people that are very exuberant, very eccentric, very positive. It doesn't mean to be enthusiastic. It doesn't mean to be bubbly. It doesn't mean to be excited. You can be a very reserved person. You can be a very quiet person and yet a very determined person and be a person that is full of God. I'll give you one example. It was crazy. We had uh, Mark Jasper as uh, assistant pastor here for some years ago, and we had the hard decision to make to actually ask a student to leave the Bible college. This is not something that we did lightly. It is something that was very difficult for us, but the guy had been forced by his parents to be at Bible school, and he hated God. He was miserable. I took him scuba diving. I took him hiking. I took him caving. Anything I could to spend time with him to try to win his heart, hoping that that would open the door for him to have some kind of enjoyment in reading the Bible and praying. But it was amazing. Every time we opened the Bible and we prayed, it was like a, a, a passive aggression took over the whole room. And it ruined the whole semester for everybody. And Mark, who is very reserved, he's funny, but he's kind of, he's an interesting character. I remember that as we were telling him, he said to, uh, you know, we, I, I would have said, hey, you're out. But Mark said this to him. Mark said, no one can force you to love the Lord Jesus. And in that moment, have you ever heard a horse, <clears throat> that noise that horses make? <clears throat> Mark made that noise as he broke in tears for this young man 
who was in such a spiritual state that he hated God, but he was forced to be in a Bible college. And in that moment, I thought, my goodness, that is the Spirit of God. Please, don't misunderstand. I don't mean the noise. I mean the tears. Full of the Spirit of God. Full of God. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? And listen, guys, this is what we should be desiring. This is what we should be striving for. This is what we need to realize. This is what God wants for us. This is not an option. This is God's heart for us. That we will be filled with the fullness of God. What does it mean? First of all, it means that God dwells in us in such a way as to control all of our faculties. God controls our thinking and our actions. For God, for, for, to be filled with all the fullness of God means that in our life, we are controlled by God. Our minds, our hearts. What drives our lives? So this means that our thinking is dominated by God. You know, I sometimes, not every day, but a lot of days, I finish the day absolutely exhausted. And it's not necessarily from physical labor. But sometimes I can be just mentally exhausted by the bombardment that I have of thoughts, continuous thoughts coming into my mind that I need to make captive and make obedient to Jesus. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and prove what is that acceptable and pleasing will of God. So in everything that we do in our lives, when I argue with Loretta, when my kids ask me something, when someone asks for advice, I am bombarded with thousands of thoughts. And in that moment, what I need to do is I need to yield to the fullness of the Spirit in me to, to be filled with the mind of God. How does God see this situation? The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that while the non-Christian's mind is controlled by the world, the Christian mind has been and is being transformed and renewed. And listen, this does not mean that we think piously because we are not to have the mind of the world, neither are we have to have the mind of the Pharisees. We are to have the mind of Jesus. I'll give you an example. I was in Willacombe, and there was a young girl, and she was hitting on us. And then Pastor Brian came over to Willacombe, and this girl... And this girl is around us, and she's trying to hit on this guy and that guy and that guy. And I just said to Brian, I said, Brian, this girl, she's just hitting on us. And Brian has this amazing ability to diminish me in an instant, very kindly. But he said, she's lost. What do you expect? She doesn't know the Lord. 
And, 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 and then obviously my logic goes, how was I before I was a Christian? You know, it, sometimes we think that thinking godly means to think like a Pharisee. We are not to adopt the mind of the Pharisee, and neither are we to adopt the mind of the world. We are to have the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit of God. And listen, guys, this needs maturity in us. And that's why Paul is praying to the for the Ephesians. The Ephesians were already Christians. But Paul is praying for that, that they would grow, that they would be filled with the fullness of God that they would be able to have the mind of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16, it says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man? And then he says, The world is spiritually discerned, but we have the mind of Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. Secondly, it's not just the mind, when a man is born again, when a man is filled with the fullness of God, a new life is put into him. New instincts, new desires, new aims, new objectives. Listen, guys, I was born and raised uh, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. My grandmother was so superstitious, it was unbelievable. She, I, I was just mentioning this morning, I had pictures because I slept in the bed with my grandmother until I was 13 because I was so afraid of everything, probably because she put so much superstition into me. But uh, I grew up kissing all my dead relatives, literally the pictures, praying to them. My grandmother would not take care of a child that was not baptized. And, um, and I did baptism, I did first communion, but my life remained unchanged. At the age of 19, I joined the U.S. Army, and we were about to go to the Iraq War, which I didn't go in the end. I ended up in Germany only. And, um, and I became a Mormon. And in the Mormon church, they told me, if you could just be good for 30 days, we'll give you a letter of commendation, which means what your future is going to look like, what you are called to. The problem is, the Catholic Church didn't change me. In the Mormon Church, I couldn't even be good for 30 days. It, there was no power. There was, there was roles, there was guidelines, there was principles, but there was no life. When a person becomes a Christian, when a person is born again, when a person begins to not just be baptized in the Spirit, not how much we have of the Spirit, but how much the Holy Spirit has of us, we begin to have new instincts. When a, when a, when a child is born into this world, when Arden was born, we didn't know what to do with him. We took him to the hospital several times. What do we do with this? Teach us. But one thing Arden knew an instinct that is given through life, he was hungry. He was hungry for milk. He needed air, instinct. When a person becomes a Christian, this is what I look for. What I look for is life. Is the hunger for the Word of God. Is the hunger for the Spirit of God. 
It's the hunger for the people of God. It's their hunger, a desire. You know, there's, a, there's different stages. Jonathan, Jonathan right now, he's gone. You guys have watched him. He's gone from non-puberty to a young man, you know, and that guy's just like, and he's a, he has a hunger to grow, to mature. There's, there's instincts in there. He's not making himself that. He has those instincts in him. When a, when a person becomes a Christian, you get those new instincts. T take Timo, for example. Timo, I've known him for years. And, and you can see he was born in a Christian home and he, grew in a, and, and he grew in a Christian home and he came to church to a Christian home and then about a year, uh, with the Christian home, I mean, and then, he, and then about a, a year and a half ago, I think it is, he just, it's like the Holy Spirit just fell into his room. He was up all night in prayer. He didn't know what happened. And all of a sudden, we don't have to tell him anything. He's got life inside of him. No instincts, new desires. To long, to hope, to wish, a hunger and thirst. There's new aims, new goals, a clear direction in a sense. My, my, it might seem confusing on the practical level as people think, they know I want to be a firefighter, but, but, but it might be confusing in that, but it is certain on the instinct of knowing God and wanting to serve him. The details might be superficial, might be a bit confusing at times because we're figuring it out. But the main thing, that is a strong instinct. New objectives, new life. I mean, it doesn't always work like this. And we're putting this a little bit in the context of mental health. But, but listen, guys, I remember uh, a guy here at church, Fred, he had a brain tumor back in the day when they didn't know how really to do surgery. And they removed that tumor and he had a gash that went in and out. I mean, he had like a part of his head was missing. And you would go see him and he would be like, how are you? Top of the pops. He was always just this happy guy, you know. And uh, but we... I've gotten to do this a lot over the last 23 years pastoring, but you are people's deathbed. And it's amazing how people die very differently. But this man said to me, something hit me, Raph, like never before. And you know what it was? It was death. Death had showed up. His lips began to close up and he was still alive. He was still conscious. But at one point we went to the hospital and uh, I was with Jimmy and I don't know who else was there. But Fred's favorite song was, I love you, Lord. And the doctor said to us, he can't hear a thing you're saying anymore. He doesn't understand anything. He's in an induced coma. And in that moment, we, we, uh, we sang together, a group of us. And we just sang, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. In that moment, Fred, his hands went up. And he died that evening. But listen, guys, what I'm trying to say here, his mind wasn't quite there. His body wasn't quite there. But the spirit, the life of God. Do you know what I mean? We, though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Uh, we, 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 um, we have new desires, new aims. 
And Paul's praying, be fed. I'm praying that you be, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, and for Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith, what it means is that Jesus feels at home with you, in your heart, and that you're filled with God. When a man is born again and increasingly becomes full of God, you know what? He becomes a loving man. Man or woman, of course. Love becomes the distinctive in their life. Now, when I say that love becomes a distinctive of his life, it's not just because automatically we go to, okay, I got to love people. I got to love people. No, 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 no. Listen, the distinctive is love becomes a distinctive of his life. He's filled with the love of God. In Romans 5, it says that we have been justified. And then he says, and the love of God has been shed into our hearts. So it's not first and foremost that we become loving people is that when we are full of God, we are full of the love of God in our hearts. D.L. Moody speaks of, a, uh, of an experience he had. He said he never had that experience before or after. But at one point, the Holy Spirit fell in, on him in such a way that he felt God's love so strong in him that he actually said to God, please stop it. I can't take anymore. But listen, there's always more to experience of the love of God in us. We haven't arrived yet. We can go to more. Listen, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. Listen, all those things, redeeming, right? And then he says this, this last phrase who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Isn't that amazing? I mean, can you imagine somebody puts a crown on you? You won a marathon or you won a sports thing and, and you're just so, and, and you won. And, and, but, but actually the crown that you wear upon you as a Christian is the tender mercies and the loving kindness of God. And then in turn, when a person is full of God, not only are we recipients of that love, but we are conduits of that love. We pass that love to other people. When we were at the retreat uh, in Denmark, we have two of the uh, leaders here. Uh, I, I, I gave them homework to do. And I said, go to 1 Corinthians 13. And where it says love suffers long, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, love is not puffed up, does not behave itself proudly, does not love, seeks not his own, is not easily provoked, does no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And I said to him, my goodness, uh, now put Jesus' name on there. Right? And it says... Jesus suffers long. It fits. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave uh, proudly. Jesus does not seek its own, his own. He's not easily provoked. 
he thinks no evil. He rejoices not uh, in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Uh, Jesus never fails. It fits, doesn't it? I put your name on there. Especially at home. This is my favorite one, at home. I wish Jonathan was here. Raph suffers long. <laughs> Raph is kind. Raph does not envy. Raph does not parade it himself, nor is puffed up, does not behave rudely, does, doesn't seek his own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Raph never fails. It just doesn't fit. But you know what? I'm recipient, a recipient of that love. But when a person is full of God, he's growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And that becomes us week by week, month by month, year by year. And you see Corey Tamboon from Holland, who was a feisty young woman. And then you listen to her sermons when she, or, or, her, or her interviews when she was 70 and she was 80. And you would never imagine that she was feisty in her young age. There's a maturity. There's a love. And she'll say stuff like, oh, my greatest fear when we get to heaven is that we will realize that we will live as beggars when we're actually king's children. And there's an authority. There's an air that she's breathing. She's full of God. And that's why Paul is praying this. A new instinct. And let me say this. Love to love people is not something that we should desire. It's something we should pursue. The Bible says this, desire spiritual gifts, pursue love. And I find that we as Christians, we've switched it around. We desire love and we pursue all the gifts. Instead of saying, you know what, Lord, your gifts is only something you can give. But I know for a fact, and there's diversity of gifts, but I know for a fact that you're producing love in me. And I want to chase after that. We yield to a new instinct. We yield to a new goal. We're not perfect, but we are growing. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. No one, no man, oh, no, actually it says, oh, no man anything but love. And to grow in that. Now, I don't want anyone to feel condemned. If you feel loveless, we all do. But as we grow and we allow the Holy Spirit to grab a hold of our lives, and this prayer of Paul is beginning to be answered in us, we'll grow in that. Next, a man that is born again becomes a new person and longs for righteousness. Bluntly said, he's done with sin. He's tired of cheating. He's tired of emotions driving him into messes, rash decision. He's tired of getting his way. He's tired of addictions. There's a new instinct. He's a child of God. He wants to do good. He wants to do what's healthy. He wants to be free. He wants to do what is right. You see, it's not rules. It's, a, it's like, you know, we were talking about the other day about dieting. 
dieting is not about eating less. It's about having a new lifestyle. In the same way for us to become a new Christian, uh, to become a Christian means there's, there's this new thing in us. We desire what is good and we yield to that. There's no complaining about the Christian life. Oh my goodness, to be a Christian is so boring. You know, I went to wa- listen Handel's Messiah in London. My friend Linda and Dave, they asked me to go and they said, hey, would you come uh, listen to Handel's Messiah? I was like, Handel who? I didn't know what Handel's Messiah was. I didn't, uh, and, and then so we went and I went right there by the British Museum. Um, no, not by, by the National Art Gallery. It was right next door. There was this concert and I fell asleep during the Handel's Messiah. And I thought, this is the most boring thing that I've ever experienced in my life. We have a musician here. He's looking down like this. And the reason he's looking down like this is because the fact that I was bored by Handel's Messiah said nothing about Handel's Messiah, but said a lot about me. In the same way, guys, there is no such thing as being bored of Jesus in the Christian life, guys. If we are bored, something is wrong with us. And Paul's prayer is that we will be filled with the fullness of God, that we will be enthusiastic. That means that God dwells in such a way in us that he's our life. Another instinct and desire is to long to have power to serve. So one, we realize how, uh, how wonderful he is, a, a, a longing for to get rid of, to live differently. We're done with the old. We've been baptized. We were buried in Egypt in, this, in the sea, and we come to a newness of life. But another instinct that follows from that is a desire, a longing to have power to serve him, to make him known. An ability, Lord, fill me with you, with wisdom. Fill me like Stephen, that they could not resist the wisdom. Remember, he was full of God. They chose him because he was a man full of God. And when when the people came to debate him, the guy who was unschooled, like they were schooled, they were not able to resist his biblical wisdom, and they could see then his face shining like an angel because he was full of God. God is great to communicate him as great as he is, as wonderful as he is, as gracious as he is, as liberating as he is, as heroic as he is, as powerful as he is. And these things, when we become Christians, begin to stir within our hearts. We, we desire, we, and in a sense, in Galatians, it says, hey, did God bless you because of the keeping of the law? He says, no, absolutely not. He blessed you because you believed in him and he filled you with his Holy Spirit. And, and, and the idea is this, you know, we see the beginning and we long for more. We long for God to work more powerfully in us. God has done this throughout history. 
C.S. Lewis said this day and night, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him, of whom I desire so eagerly not to meet. I gave and admitted that God was God. I did not see then what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the divine humility by which he, he will accept a convert, a, a convert even on those terms. He says, the prodigal son at least ran, walked home, but who would receive a guy that's kicking and screaming? And C.S. Lewis comes back and then he has this desire and he writes the Chronicles of Narnia for children so they would see parallels of, of the Christian life and mythology or, or whatever you call it that he did. But he wrote those books so that people would read his books when they were older, these kids as they grow, that they would read mere Christianity. But there was a desire to serve them, a desire to be fruitful. Ramon Luis here in Mallorca, he, when he became a Christian, you know what his greatest guilt was his greatest sin what he felt was the worst thing that he had done is not the womanizing is not the music he, he produced is not all the stuff he did you know what what was the biggest thing he was walking around Mallorca and he was looking at the trees bearing fruit and he says the trees have no intellect and they've borne fruit for your kingdom and I've borne no fruit all I've done is consume the earth I've brought nothing of benefit to this world and it was a desire to, to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. To be full of God. A desire to serve him and to make him known. And that's why Paul prays, I pray. And I think you could almost say like Stephen, I pray that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. That your faces would even radiate the glory of Jesus. And we're going to leave it there. Oh, no, we're finished. Sorry, I thought it was another page. It's the first one. <laughs> but guys, maybe today, may the Lord's touched your heart. And listen, this is not a motivational speech for you to try harder. It's not about trying harder. It's about in humility and gratitude saying, Lord, answer the prayer of Paul. I want to grow. I want to be strengthened in my spirit, in my soul, my mind, my heart, my will. I want to know this love. I don't want to be bored with you. I want to grow in this love. I want Jesus to dwell in my heart through faith that he would feel at home in my heart. And I want to be filled with all your fullness. And if you're thinking here today, that's impossible. I just can't even see that happening in my life. Listen, the verses afterwards says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we can think or ask. He, what Paul is saying is, if you doubt it, I want you to know that God is able to do more than what you even think and what you could even ask. The question is, will you humble yourself? Well, we humble ourselves and said, Lord, we want you. We want you, whether we live, whether we die, we are yours. And I would love for us to, to bow our heads and, and just pray together. Father, I pray that 
all of us, I mean, I, I really believe all of us need more of this. But I pray, Father, that we would not just be existing, Lord, Lord, that you would fill us with all your fullness, Lord. That your spiritual life in us, your Holy Spirit in us, would even trump some aspects of our minds. But even, Lord, if our minds deteriorate, even to the point where we might forget the people we love, and Lord, you will never forget us. And I pray, Father, that we would not be producers, producers, Lord. We would not be workaholics as such. We would be, we will be lives, your life in us. And that while we are down, and we will have days that we are down, that we would re realize that you meet us in the depths. There's no pit, pit so deep that your love is not deeper still. And yet, Lord, that you love us so much that you fill us with your fullness and you raise us from the dead to life, from glory to glory. And Father, we want to ask humbly, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to see our lives on mission, Lord. That as we go out, fill us in such a way that we radiate wherever it is that we work, whatever it is that we do. Help us not to become slaves of religious Phariseeism. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the promise of your life. Help us to alphabetize what you are doing in our life. To put off the flesh and to yield to your spirit. Help us to grow, Lord. Forgive us if we ever get bored. I pray that, like we would say, open up our eyes to the things unseen. Elijah's servant, just so discouraged when he saw the armies, overwhelmed by the multitude against, overwhelmed by the circumstances, and yet all it took was your Holy Spirit to open up his eyes to see that the ones that are with us are more than the ones that are with them and everything changed. Lord, fill us with all your fullness. Help us not to want more of you. Help us to allow you to have more of us. And if, it, if the Lord's touched your heart today, if you see a need there, 
Don't be afraid. You can change your mind, but you can't change your heart. Don't be afraid to say, Lord Jesus, change my heart. I know in my mind that you are the greatest thing and the greatest person in the universe. Change my affections, change my instincts, cause them to grow, cause them to take over my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.